Support for the Daycast comes from Day Translations. Go global with access to the industry's top translators, interpreters, localization engineers, and language specialists that help you take your business global. For a free quote on translation services, visit daytranslations.com and enter the promo code DAYCAST for a 5% discount on all language services. Day Translations. Create something beautiful. Support for the Daycast comes from Day Interpreting, the instant, real-time, mobile app interpreting solution that connects you to live human language interpreters quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. No contracts, no waiting, no hassle. Now available for all iOS and Android devices. Day Interpreting. Connect with the world. See dayinterpreting.com to set up your free account today. From daytranslations.com, this is the Daycast. I'm Diego Mejia. Tonight's topic, business brand expansion and is your brand ready? This evening, you'll be listening to a discussion with Sean Hopwood, president and CEO of Day Translations, Inc., and myself. Recorded live in the Day Translations remote studios in Bogota, Colombia, and connected with Tampa, Florida, all the way over in the United States, February 18th, 2020. This is the first episode of the Daycast series. Thank you for joining us. We're here with Sean Hopwood, president and CEO of Day Translations. Sean, how are you? Thank you for joining us. I'm wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you for doing this. You're very welcome. We are, uh, we're really interested in hearing your story and learning about how Day Translations started out. Please tell us a little bit about how this idea came about, how you, how you started in this. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak about this because this is something I'm actually really passionate about. I've been, a lot of people have looked at me in a way as a very introverted pers- person. I, I, I'm not an introverted person. I'm kind of more like, I've tried to be very humble and modest throughout my life. But as I've spoken to friends and family, they, they find out things about me that they never knew. And I'm like, I thought these things were just obvious, you know, my passion for cultures, my passion for language, you know, my love for, for dance, my love for, you know, learning about different traditions and religions and all these things. This is something I've always been passionate about, but I've never really, I've never really vocalized it. And so I'm hoping to, to vocalize a little bit more so people can get to know me. I think the, one of the biggest uh, issues I have is people don't know me. And so I'm hoping that this will help a lot with that. Well, that's terrific. Do you think that, uh, do you think that you growing up uh, in your private life helped you build your business? Uh, uh, As an extrovert in my private life? Yes, uh, it has. It, it's. I've been very gregarious my entire life. I, I you know, um, even whenever I was little, I used to go out in my neighborhood and meet people all the time. And even the, I remember my first encounter with languages. I was walking around in my neighborhood, and I used to play with these Mexican children. And they one time said, "Este chico está loco," and then I was like, oh, "Okay, this guy." You're, I said, "You're calling me crazy." And they're like, how did you know that? You know, because I was only like uh, five years or six years old. And I was like, because, you know, I've heard it before. I, you know, I, I can I can pick up on your mannerisms. So from like five or six years old is when I started realizing how much I love cultures, my passion for, you know, different people to, to try to understand what they're trying to say. So it all, it all, <clears throat> it all basically started from there. Um, and I mean, it was probably born in me, my, you know, kind of my desire to understand people. If I were just to summarize it all, it's just, I have a deep, deep desire to understand people. And, and that's where, that's where all this passion comes from. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up. Where did you, where did you meet Mexican children when you were friends uh, as little kids? Yeah, I lived, I lived in Bartow 
and uh, it was, it's a city about one hour east of Tampa, Florida, and it is um, it was a predominantly Mexican neighborhood that I lived in, and and I just you know I I grew up there, you know surrounding myself with people in different cultures, and it's it's also a very interesting thing because when I meet people here or when I travel around the world, you know if I go to Madrid or Colombia or when I go to you know Puerto Rico, Mexico, all these places I've been to. In Morocco, you know, they're like, where are you from? And, you know, I, I, I just say Barto, you know, because that's where I'm from. And <laughs> they're like, what's that? I'm like, it's a small country town. And I was in there say, well, how do you know all this stuff going from there? And I'm like, it's because it's my passion. It's, you know, I, I attract these things to me, you know. And it's not just, you know, some magical word. I mean, I actually attract these things to me. Um, people see my love for languages. When I used to go to the library at the university, um, people used to constantly come up to me and, and speak to me because I'm, I'm willing to listen. You know, I would sit down and I spoke to this Syrian guy every day for a whole semester and I learned everything about Syria. I didn't even have to read a book, which I do read books, but I, I didn't have to really read a book. I, I would talk to this guy about, you know, all the different, everything that's going on in Syria. And I talked to another guy from Algeria, talked to these people from Korea. I taught English to Koreans. And so, you know, I learned about, you know, Korea, I learned about the differences between North and South Korea, you know, it's something I'm passionate about. I mean, just last week I was studying, you know, the culture of Chad, you know, no one ever talks about Chad, you know, and even on my social media, I start talking about Chad and, you know, trying to learn about the, you know, the nuances of that country. And I, and no one cares, you know, no one, everyone just, I get like, I'll get like one like on Facebook or something like that. <laughs> uh, you must love to travel. Is that right? I do love to travel, but I don't travel as much as people would think. Um, I, but I do travel and I absorb a lot when I travel. But I also, in my own world, in my own city, you know, I, I, experience, this, I experience cultures every day. I live in Tampa, Florida, and, you know, I play soccer with people from all around the world. I mean, I have friends from Benin, the Gambia, uh, Nigeria, um, the Ivory Coast, uh, Argentina, uh, Jamaica, uh, Haiti, Brazil, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Colombia, uh, everywhere, all around the world. And so it is, it is, it's an amazing experience to travel. And I can imagine that your love for languages and your ability to learn languages on your own has helped you form a lot of relationships in, in, your, in your personal life and in your business life. Yes, it, it has. It's, it's, it's formed amazing relationships and it, it's, it's done so much for me. For example, I have, a, I have an Israeli friend and we had this really complicated Israeli translation to do, a Hebrew translation to do for, for our company. And it was written in Israeli shorthand, which is not the same as, you know, I mean, not Israeli shorthand, Hebrew shorthand. So um, it's not the same as this regular, you know, script, Hebrew script that, you know, that you see in, in the Torah and stuff like that. So um, I, I, I contacted him and he helped me out a lot with it, you know, and this happens every day, almost, you know, almost every day where, you know, we'll get a, we'll get a rare language that I have a friend that can help me with it. You know, I have a friend that will, you know, or, you know, give me guidance. And it's also gotten to the point where <clears throat> I can kind of pick up, pick up on it my own. Cause I, I, I knew that it was Hebrew, but I just didn't know, you know, what, what it, you know, if it, if it was some, some certain different type of writing or something like that. And, you know, I'm usually helpful when it comes to differentiating between different 
types of languages that use the same script, such as Farsi and, and you know, um, Arabic and Urdu. They, they all use the same script, so sometimes it's hard to tell. But since I can read Arabic, I can tell, that, I can tell you know, <laughs> this is not Arabic. This is, uh, this is Dari or this is Farsi, something like that. So, yeah, yeah, I, being surrounded by all these friends has it's, it's been really nice. I, I, and it's, it's, I love it. I mean, I, I, will, I just love being surrounded by cultures. How did you learn all of these languages? I started learning when I was really young. I, I, I learned Spanish and French whenever I was, you know, really young and before high school. And, 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 and I took French and I, I took French in college and I, and I also took, a, I, I have a minor in Spanish in college. So I, I always told myself and my grandfather also, he really inspired me to do these things because my grandfather, I told him I wanted to be a pharmacist because I was a little bit lost. And he's, you know, he said, no, don't, don't be a pharmacist. You're just going to be sitting in a room, you know, filling up bottles with pills all day. Does that sound like fun? And I was like, no, it doesn't. And so he convinced me, he said, do what you love. It doesn't, you know, because I was always told, you know, pharmacists, they make, you know, $70,000 a year, $80,000 a year or something like that. That's, that's great, you know. And yeah. so I was like, I, want, I, want, I need that. You know, I want to make money. What am, you know, I don't know what to do with languages. And he said, no, just do what you love and you'll find a way of making money doing it. Was he a huge influence in your life growing up? Yes, he was a huge influence. He sent me to space camp. He sent me to all sorts of camps that fostered my creativity. He sent me to Aviation Academy where I learned how to fly an airplane. Um, he sent me, yeah, in space camp, I was actually, um, I was assigned to be the, the captain of the spaceship. And so that's when my first, that's, that was my first hint that I could be a leader, you know. I could be a leader because these kids, you know, I was like 12 years old and all the kids chose me to be the captain of a spaceship the, you know the person that's in charge of everything and the uh, yeah the leader and a very interesting note side note is that chelsea clinton was also there so yeah so you were you were leading actually, chelsea clinton into space <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well she was actually on a she was in, she came actually one week after me so she wasn't in the in my exact same program but she got there you know when i was you know leaving because each program was two weeks long and and as my week was ending, hers was starting. So it would have been interesting kind of like to interact with her and meet her. But no, I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't actually work directly with her. But it, yeah, it, was, it would have been really cool. But um, yeah, so, and that, that kind of shows you the kind of person my grandfather was. Like he sent me the same place that Bill Clinton sent Chelsea Clinton. So obviously successful people, you know, they think alike. And my grandfather... Yeah was an amazingly successful person, not just like in his business life, but in his personal life too. He made, he, he, he valued family. He cared very much about his grandson. Yeah, he cared a lot about me. And that's why I named the company after him, Day Translations. His name was Francis Joseph Day. And I named the company after him. Not everyone has an opportunity in life to have a father figure or, um, or a, a mentor uh, growing up, you, you've mentioned that when you were younger, you, you thought the, the best that you could do or what you saw for your future was potentially a, a career as a, as a professional pharmacist. What would you say to a young person that's listening to this podcast for the first time and, and they're not sure about what their potential is or may not sure about their path in life? What, what advice would you give them? Well, my advice, one of my biggest advices would be to not ever focus on the negative, not to feel sorry for yourself, but to feed your passions. 
and to help the people who help you and and you're going to be you're going to be good for example i i never had a father but i had a very good grandfather so by that you know by that thinking i could be like oh wow i never had a father you know feel sorry for myself hey everyone please feel sorry for me if i'm not successful this is why you know that's 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 stupid you know or i could be like i had a wonderful grandfather you know i had wonderful friends who helped me when i was growing up you know i i lived with a uh, I, I lived with, I had all these people help me out and I stayed with this guy. He taught me about the internet, you know, no one knew what it was, you know, uh, everyone was using this AOL chat and it was like, you know, how did, what is this and how does it work? You know, and he was the only one in our, you know, our area who had a computer and who had internet. So we all went to his house and he showed me everything. So like my advice is you could just never feel sorry for yourself, you know? And there's a saying, I don't know exactly how it goes, but you know, it's kind of like for a fisherman, it says, I don't care how many storms there were when you're out at sea. All I care about is how many fish you bring back to shore. So that's what most people care about. There's some people in your life who, you know, who deeply care about you and who you are, you know, but what most people care about is results. So it's not going to matter, you know, if, you know, if there's some reason to feel sorry for you, you need to focus and feed the things that are good for you and, starve the things that are not good for you that's my main that's my main advice there so focusing on the positivity and you also mentioned uh being an early adopter of technology i understand that yeah. this was a a huge benefactor uh to to you growing your business in the early days uh, could you tell us a little bit about that yes yes and i'm 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 40 years old so there's a lot probably, probably a lot of younger people who you know who are in, you know, know a lot about newer types of technology, which I'm always doing, but I started off, you know, whenever, a, you know, AOL was coming out. Um, my mother, she, uh, when she, she was a teacher and she still is a teacher and she had um, a Commodore computer and we would, you know, we would learn how that works. My grandfather actually sent me to computer camp at MIT. And that's another thing he did. Um, and it taught me, it taught, he, it, they taught us computer programming. So technology is extremely important and it's extremely important to constantly be adapting. And there's some people who it's, it's something you have to like eradicate from your brain, which is complacency. And I always like to give an example of Sears for that idea. Um, yeah. Sears, Sears would just became complacent. They were complacent with their computer systems. I would go in there and they, you're still using black computers with green green font and green lettering. And I'm like, why, why are you still using this old programming when there's so much new stuff coming out? Um, the clothing they had was like old fashioned clothing. They never even changed their styles. They're just like, okay, let's just keep doing the same thing till we just run it to the ground. And that's what they did. They just ran it to the ground and, and that's where they came. That's where they, <laughs> they ended up. And so not keeping I up try, the speed. Yeah. I try to be, I call myself an anti Luddite, someone who is, <laughs> is just, passionate about languages, uh, passionate about innovation and technology. And you have to be so, and even to like, even if you're 99 years old and someone asks you, you know, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to go to, I'm going to, I'm going to go to school at 99. Like, why are you going to school at 99? You know, how much longer do you have to live? And you could tell them, it doesn't matter if I have even one day left to live, I'm going to continue learning. There are two topics that I, I'd like to ask you about. The first one being, um, do you consider yourself an internet entrepreneur? Uh, yes, I do consider, consider myself an internet entrepreneur. 
Um, it was more of entrepreneurship by necessity. Um, you know, I would, as you know, I, um, well, you may not know, I was fired from my job and I had to find a way to make money. So I went around, you know, trying to find clients for translation. And, and I went around, you know, I went to the Small Business Development Center, which is a governmental um, organization, which everyone listening to this podcast can, can do. It's SBDC, the Small Business Development Center. There's one in every major metropolitan area in the United States. And what they do is they help people. They help people with, um, you know, setting up a business, finances, accounting, uh, human resources, and all stuff like this. So, um, yes, I, I considered myself an entrepreneur, but as I, I always try to stay humble and realize that it's not just me, but my ability and my willingness to ask for help, which has made me so successful. Uh, you mentioned that you, that the SBDC played a, a major role in, in how you formed your company uh, during uh, difficult times. Uh, was following the rules something always uh, something that you always did? Do you believe in, in bending the rules when necessary to get ahead, or how do you how do you manage that? Well, when it comes to the rules and, and laws and stuff like this, I'm extremely strict about doing things the right way. You know, you know, taxes, all that stuff. Everything has to be done really well but it also you also have to think um really you have to think large and outside of the box you have to have lateral thinking sometimes um for example when i started my company i wasn't always worried about you know okay if i do this i gotta prepare it for this and this sometimes in, and even in technology this is a really important thing to learn whenever you whenever you start a technology and it's not perfect you have to just put it out there anyways, because it's never going to be perfect. If, even if you look at technology like Google Maps, it is not perfect. There's so many UX errors. There's so many UI errors. I mean, uh, there's so many mistakes in, in it, but people still use it. And Google still keeps tweaking it to make it perfect. So by that same token, if you want to be following all the rules and just like wait till everything's perfect, you're going to be waiting forever. So perfection is not something that's absolutely necessary to launch a product in the beginning. Maybe that's something that causes people to hold back from releasing or living their dream is thinking that they're not prepared, that they don't have a college degree in what it is that they do. Do you believe that having a formal degree from university is absolutely necessary to be successful in business or in life nowadays? Okay, well, first of all, about perfection. Perfection is not necessary, but the desire for perfection is necessary. And those are kind of like, you know, it might be confusing, but like, well, if you want to be perfect and you're not perfect, you know, that's, that's, that's incongruous. But actually it's not because if you don't want to be perfect, you're just going to be happy with being ordinary. So, you know, your, your application, your business might have some errors. Or if you want to have a restaurant, you know, you might have some bar stools that are, you know, that are not straight, or you might have a table that's wobbly, you know, and that's okay. But you, you want to have no wobbly tables. You want to have a perfectly clean window. So as long as you keep striving for that perfection, that's important. So I wanted to address, you know, I wanted to address that for that second. And what was the other question? For somebody that's starting out and maybe they can't afford to go to a university for four years or for six years to, to you know, get a master's in business or, or something of this nature. Uh, do you believe that it's necessary now in, in, this, uh, in this day and age to have a university degree to become successful? 
Okay, now I have a very interesting take on this. And yes, I do think it's important to go to university. Um, that's my short answer. Um, I think that a lot of people have, you know, you know, either been convinced or they've kind of told themselves, you know, university isn't necessary. You know, you're learning a lot of unimportant stuff. And yeah, that could be true. And, and trade schools and stuff like this are, are really nice. But for me personally, I think I learned a lot in school. Um, some people might not need that structure. Some people might be able to be, like you say, autodidactic. Some people might need, uh, might not need to, you know, a professor. But for me personally, I need a professor to, you know, I need somewhere to be every day. I like to be in a classroom surrounded by people and learning and, you know, in a library where, where I'm actually, you know, learning and absorbing from other people. Um, you can be learning by yourself on the computer, but it's, it's, for me, it's not the same. There's not, you don't have that interaction. Um, so yes, I, there's a lot of people, and this is a, actually a really good thing for introverts. Uh, and, but this is also a reason why a lot of developers and coders, they end up becoming very introverted because they learn on their own. You know, they take classes online and, and they end up learning on their own, but they don't understand real world applications. So in my opinion, I really think a college education is very important. Um, but you know, there's always those stories of people like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg who, you know, didn't finish college and they're very successful. So, um, they're, they're both to that level where I think that college for them was more of like a, like a, a block, you know, instead of, instead of something that would actually help them. But you never know. I mean, they might feel regretful that they didn't finish. Maybe they had wished they learned, you know, they had taken some environmental science classes or something. I don't know. But yeah, I, I really loved my, my experience in college. Your experience in college, you to be able to socialize with people that likely helped you in the early days when you, when you started your business. Tell us a little bit about the way that you run your business now. What's the day like for you at Day Translations? Well, it's, it's extremely exciting for me. I mean, I, I get up every day and I'm just looking forward to working. And it's been almost, like you say, it's been almost 15 years. And I just have so much passion to get up every day and do this. You know, I'm not like, you know, wanting to grow a business so I can sell it and start another one, you know, and that might, you know, kind of make me a little bit different than different than other entrepreneurs, because all I want to do is this for the rest of my life. You know, I just want to run this business. I want to see how, how far we can take it, how much it can grow how much of a change we can make in the world. And that's what really drives me. So, you know, a typical day when I get up is, you know, I'll have my coffee, which is decaf always. So, uh, you know, I, and I, um, you know, I, I, I get on my computer. I, I answer a bunch of questions from people. I, and, and, and also as, a, as an entrepreneur, you have to learn to evolve because when you start the company, you're doing everything. Once it gets to the level where it's to the level where mine is at, you have to learn to let go. Little by little, you let go of things. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm not even doing the day-to-day -day operations of the company, <laughs> even though I want to so bad, as everyone knows, I want to just like, you know, micromanage, but you have to let go and learn to trust other people. And so, yeah, that's a, a typical, and, and I've learned to trust other people. I've, you know, I've, I've got amazing people in my company who are smarter than me in so many ways. And that's another thing. You have to learn humility. You have to learn, hey, 
you know at the first you're like oh i'm a genius i'm a superhero i, I did all this and then you have to realize okay maybe i'm not i'm just another guy who you know started something and you know i had some good ideas i worked really hard but i have all these people helping me out now so it's not just about me it's about the entire group so if you really want to take your company that in that next level that's kind of like a step you have to take in the evolution of your your paradigm and philosophy towards running a company i think this is really interesting for entrepreneurs or or um entrepreneurs that or young people that want to get into entrepreneurship and i think that one of the major roadblocks that uh young people might uh young people or, or older people as well that want to start a business uh, one of the challenges that they might have are well they're twofold the first one is finding time i i'd love to know your point of view on this finding time to pursue a personal side project how to combat exhaustion uh, you are known mm-hmm. to work really long days and um, yeah. how do you how do you maintain motivation even during a tough day is it just gritting your teeth <clears throat> is it just kind of sticking well, through it and suffering and and getting through it or how do you how do you manage these things yeah thank you that's actually a wonderful question i've always wanted to try to explain this to people um and it's not, the funny the interesting thing about me is it's not hard um it's just not hard um like when i started the company you know i was working you know eight hours a day as an interpreter at the hospital and then i would come home and i would work you know um when, from when i got home which is about 6 p.m and then i would work until 4 a.m every day then i would go the next day and work um for me and and then and when i quit the job as the interpreter it was basically okay i was doing the same exact thing except for double i had double time to actually focus on my company so it was great um uh, combating the stress combating the um the you know the difficulty of doing all this is it's not too hard um one thing that i have always i have in my in my mind is i look at myself as walking on a sidewalk sometimes you're walking on a sidewalk it's really easy it's cement you just keep walking and then sometimes you you hit some mud or quicksand you know you could stop in the mud and then you'd be like oh gosh i'm covered with mud and start complaining about it. And then you get to the quicksand, like, oh my gosh, I'm sinking, and start looking at yourself sinking. Or you can keep walking. You know, if you keep walking, you're eventually going to get back to the cement, and then you're like, okay, I'm walking in. So that that's the philosophy that I had. You know, like you know, last year I had to, I worked I think four days straight without sleeping, um, and I just I knew you know I knew it was going to stop, and now you know it, you know I have, and, and now I'm, I'm everything is going really well. So. <clears throat> From, and, and another thing for me is I'm like the king of doing tedious work. <laughs> I can do repetitive tasks in front of a computer, you know, for hours on end. And I think engineers and coders do this a lot too. And that's, it's a really, it's a good quality to have because um, a lot of people are not able to do the grunt work or the actual, you know, minutia of having a job um, or, or of running a business. And so if you're the president of a company and you're willing to do those things, Number one, it's good because those things need to get done. And number two, it's a good example for your employees because they see you doing all that hard work and it makes them want to work even harder. And so, and the third thing is, I mean, when it's your company, it's a lot easier because, you know, you kind of, you can, you can see the results. So yeah, these, these things are good. These, these are kind of like the ways I combat that. I have a question for you and this is something that could be considered, um, taboo a lot of people don't like to talk about this but it's definitely something everybody feels and as an entrepreneur i'm pretty sure that you must feel it at 
an augmented level. Fear. How do you deal yes. with, with fear? Oh, well, yeah, <clears throat> that is very interesting because it's, it's taboo. And people talk about these things like, oh, don't have fear or don't think negatively or don't talk about this or that, you know. Those things to me don't really matter to the, in, except for the, to the extent where it'll, it affects other people. Um, for example, um, fear, you know, if I say I'm scared, I'm like, yeah, I'm scared, you know, <laughs> or, or I have fear of failure. Okay, yes, but, you know, it doesn't stop me from doing my job, you know. I'm going to keep using that fear and, and, and drive myself forward. And the fear, for, the fear fuels the fire in a way. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Fear fuels fire, fear of failure, all these things. But for me, it's it's not so much a fear that I have anymore. I just have, I see everything that I need to do and this company needs to do with perfect vision, and I have just like this extreme like lightning urge, like or just like this wind pushing me in behind my back, saying, "Hey, we got to do this. We got to do this," because I see everything with perfect vision. I mean, my company is in an industry with, it's a $50 billion industry. I believe it's one of the top 10 industries in the, in the world, or maybe one of the top five. I have to do the exact research. I don't know. But when I see this and I see what our competition is doing, and when I see what, you know, lateral companies are doing that are similar to ours, I, I just, I see everything with perfect vision and I want everyone to see that vision with me. And now my company has gotten to a point where I can say there's like, at least 20 people in the upper management who see things the same way I do. And that's, that's a comforting feeling when you're doing things by yourself. It's very scary when you have people doing things with you. It's like, Hey, we're, we're, you know, we're doing this together. And when you trust them, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. So yeah, that, that fear when people, you know, it's kind of like a, it's a social media thing. It's a phenomenon where people say, Oh, don't talk about fear. Don't talk about negativity. You know, of course, yes, be positive, but don't let that philosophy run your life, you know? Um, you know, if you want to think, be negative one day, be negative one day. If you want to be scared one day, be scared one day. But the goal is to keep moving forward, keep trying, you know? Don't be like, oh gosh, this is something I can't talk about because if I talk about it, it's going to get worse. No, it's not going to get worse. The only thing that really matters is how efficiently and hard you do your job. All these, you know, for me, those things, you know, those things have to be taken with a grain of salt. You mentioned that your staff uh, plays a big role in, in helping you realize your, your creative vision. Uh, what is the secret to leading people into believing what you believe? That's something that I'm actually working on now. I have, um, I, I was really good at it before and then I got bad at it for a while and now I'm getting good at it again. I kind of, um, people kind of lost the, the, the goal. They lost the, the, the track, which I was going on. And, and so I've been reading a lot. I've been studying a lot. And one thing I've been doing is researching, uh, servant leadership and also explaining our goals very clearly. So with, you know, with, with servant leadership, obviously, um, if anyone has read about it, the main idea behind it is, for me as the manager or you as the manager, whoever you are to put yourself in a position to make all your colleagues successful. So you say, what can I do to make you successful at your job? What can I do to make you happier? What can I do to make you more productive? These are things that, that I've done. And so as long as you have the clear vision of what you do and everyone knows 
then what you need to do is put yourself in a servant leadership position where you are, you are making everyone better because as a manager entrepreneur, you are only one person. If you have a company with 50 people, that's 50 to one. So you, it would be much more smart to empower those 50 people than to be selfish and, and try to do everything yourself. So, so that's what we've done. Um, we've made our vision very clear and we've, we've tried to empower everyone to, to do their job. And, and a lot of things, I've been very motivational a lot lately. And I think that's really important because people work for money, but they don't work just for money. They work for progress. They work for self-actualization and they work to feel important. So, you know, it, it, it goes a long way, you know, it, it, to tell someone, Hey, you know, you did a really good job today. And I, I've used this in my entire life actually. And one good thing that's helped me a lot with this is my memory. I have a pretty good memory. So, you know, when I'm talking to someone, they'll talk to me, even when I meet someone new. Um, I met a guy the other day. Um, it was actually sun, Sunday. I met a guy and he was a money maker. He made coins. And, um, we talked and he talked, he told me about how, you know, he, he makes coins for different, you know, things like the, the flip of the Super Bowl or memory, um, memorial coins and stuff like this. And we talked a lot. And then, and then, um, after about, after about 25 minutes, you know, there were some coins on the ground and I said, Hey, are you sure you didn't make those coins or something? And he looked at me with such a smile because he knew that I, he, I was paying attention to him in the beginning of the conversation. And so when you pay attention to someone and then you bring it back to them later, it's like, it's like a, it gives them a feeling of catharsis and, and joy and warmth inside because they're like, oh, wow, someone was actually listening to me. I, I matter. I'm important. And so this is something that, you know, it's important to do in a company. If you have an employee and, you know, they like dogs, you'd be like, hey, you know, I found this, look at this breed of dog. Look at this German Shepherd. Isn't he beautiful? You know, just something like that. They're like, wow. My, my boss really, you know, he listens to me. He knows who I am. And, and that, that actually makes them feel more important and, and makes them work harder. Very well. Compassion seems to play a, a major role in the way that you lead in your company. Uh, how do you manage when you have to make a difficult decision inside the company where uh, you might have to break off a relationship with somebody within the organization? How do you, how do you make those decisions? Uh, well, that's, that's very hard. But it's the hard things are what make you successful. So when you are able to make the hard decisions, you are successful. Um, if you don't make those hard decisions, you are going to be stuck in the same place for the rest of your life. You know, let's say you're in a divorce and <laughs> you don't like your partner. Um, you know, if you don't take any action, you're going to be miserable forever. Um, and that, I'm saying you're in a marriage, but you want to get divorced. I, I misspoke. But so... Um, by the same token, if you're in a company and you're with an employee and, and this employee is not doing good work and, and, and you, you're scared to talk to them, that is, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. You shouldn't be a boss because you need to be able to make those hard decisions, you know? And I have actually, I've cried a lot of times when I let people go and I still do. And I still do it because you know, I, and that's good that you cry because it shows you have emotions. It shows that you care. And, but it's also good that you can make those decisions. So it's, it's, it's the perfect balance to be able to have that emotion and have that care and still be able to make the hard decisions. And that is one of the hardest things about 
being an entrepreneur is actually letting people go and stuff like that. So, and, and, it, and yeah, and it's good to try to do it in the best way as well to try to, you know, never burn bridges, you know, and I've kind of adopted a new, a new um, methodology now that I'm doing where, you know, if we do let people go or if they, if they quit, I tell them, Hey, you know, I'm still here for you. You know, you, you were with us company, you helped this company grow. I want you to know that we're, you know, we want to keep a, a good relationship with you and we don't want to burn any bridges. So that's wonderful. You know, and that's actually going to help a lot because I mean, these people are going to be around forever. I mean, they're going to be around many years. So, so why not keep a good relationship with them? You know, it all goes out there into the world. They might come back one day or they might have something to say. Every single person counts. I love talking about these uh, questions to ask that most, uh, most CEOs would be a little bit timid to, to be upfront yeah. about, and, and you're being nice yeah. enough to, to talk about it openly. Yeah. Uh, speaking, yeah. going back to fear and, and businesses or CEOs that might already be operating or their business might already be running, they could be growing, they're thinking about taking their business to another country, reaching a Spanish-speaking market. Um, if their business is based out of the United States, you know that the Hispanic population within the United States has been growing exponentially in the past yes. 10, 15 years. It's become a, a political topic. Uh, it's uh, somewhat controversial, but it presents a great business opportunity for entrepreneurs yes. that want to take their operations to a different language. What, uh, what would be the first steps that you would tell them to consider when, they, uh, when they're making that decision to take yet another risk and reach a, a huge market? Well, yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, it could be, it could be controversial to some people, but for me, I'm all about the preservation of cultures and preservation of languages. I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. There's so much, you know, culture and tradition in every little thing. And that's something, and especially in the Hispanic market, but in all cultures, um, that's something that businesses really need to understand. And, and, um, what they have to do is they have to really, they, they have to really look at these things. There's people who are insular in their own world and they say, you know, well, let's just make our product. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, then they don't, you know, that's for me, that's not the correct approach. Uh, the correct approach is take this to take the localization approach where you localize your project, your product or project or your product for different people. So <clears throat> if you have a, you know, if you have a, uh, you know, uh, uh, a movie, you know, if you're just going to keep putting it in English, what if your audience doesn't speak English? Why not put it in Spanish? Why not put it in Mandarin? Why not put it in Arabic? And if you put it in Arabic, there's like 20 different dialects of Arabic. So why not put it in each dialect? So you can, you know, you can appeal to every person, you know, I mean, amongst the Arabic, uh, cultures and population, they all have their own dialect. When, they, if, when they're all together, let's say there's an Algerian with a Libyan and a Jordanian and a Syrian and all these things. So they're, they're speaking very, very different dialects. The Moroccan dialect is very different than the Lebanese dialect. So when, you, when they're speaking, they're like, oh, in my culture, we talk like this. And so when you can speak to someone in their culture, you really can, you know, you can market to them. And show them that you're not just doing it, you know, to sell them. You can actually understand them. There may be a misconception that it's difficult to do this. 
maybe a lot of people don't know about the process of localizing a piece of content or a product to reach a different country or a, a market of, of um, Spanish speakers within the United States, for instance, or chi a Chinese speaking community or a Chinese speaking market within the United States. Is it, uh, let's break through the misconceptions of, of whether this is actually something extremely difficult uh, to, to actually get done. Is, is, it, is it true that it's, it's hard to do this? Or um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's not hard for us to do. <laughs> it might be hard for someone to do who um, doesn't have a, a strong knowledge of, of cultures. You know, you have to hire the people, you know, but we already have all the, you know, all that implementation already in place for our company. So, you know, if you need to localize, it's, it, it might be hard to do it yourself, but if you, if you hire a localization company, it's probably a, a better thing because there's so much nuance that goes. I mean, these Chinese, um, they have in the Chinese culture, they have different beliefs for, you know, for example, red for us means really stop, but for red, red is the color of the flag of China. It's one of the most important colors in their culture. It's, it's, it's for passion and success and, and all these things. And, you know, and different different ways of talking, different ways of speaking formally. In different countries, they speak at different levels of formality, such as in Colombia, everyone is extremely formal in business. And you know, in some other Latin American countries, their level of formality not, might not be the same. Or if you're watching a movie in Spanish and you're from Mexico and they they dubbed it with a Castilian accent from Spain. It's going to be, you can understand it, but it's going to be strange. So all these things, there's just so much knowledge. It takes years to, to come up with this knowledge. So in a way, I would say, yes, it is hard, but that's why you should really hire professionals to do it because there's some people who don't understand the importance of it, the, the, really, the need to have a localization company. Um, for example, India has 1.3 billion people. China has about 1.4 billion people just right there. There's so many people that you, you can reach. There's so many people that, that can help you. I mean, that, that can be potential market for your product. I mean, Brazil, if you, if you, if you translate your stuff to Portuguese, you're going to be reaching out to people in Brazil, Portugal, and also I believe uh, Angola and I think Mozambique as well. So, and the Cape Verde islands, I mean, that's, you know, 210 million people you got in Brazil, about 10 million in Portugal, and all those in those other countries have about, you know, let's say 10, 20, 30 million more people. So just by translating your product, you know, for, the, you know, a small amount of money, and then, you know, and then putting it on the web, you know, the search engines like Google are going to see it, they're going to rank you higher for that language, they're going to, you know, people are going to see it and be like, oh, this is in my language. It's going to be so much easier for them to use your product. If it's a movie, it's, if it's a software, whatever it is, it's going to be so much easier for them to use your, your product if it's, if it's in their language. How does, the, how does a business know when is a good sign uh, to take their, say, their e-commerce business, for instance, or their website into a different language and, and just kind of jumping in the water uh, or... You know, how, 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 do they, how do they know when it's time to get out there and really just make the decision? What would, be, what, what would in your opinion, be a great indicator uh, for a business to make the first move? Well, for me, I just jump into everything immediately. <laughs> I don't wait for anything. I just do it because, I mean, you know, 
it's there's so much you can do but as as i i'm a little bit disorganized in a lot of ways i'm more of a creative personality and it is good to be organized so uh, even if you're just starting out a company it it can't hurt just to translate your just your website or a couple a couple of documents but um if i would say whenever you have your company and your structures and your processes in place when you have a very clear business model for what you do I think that is a very good time to to start localizing. Yeah, I think that's a very good time to start localizing. Is it expensive yeah. to localize? Uh, to localize, <clears throat> um, well, depending on you know how big your project is, localization uh, of a website is really not expensive, and it's the amount of money you can make from it is this is is crazy. I mean, just like I say, just if you translate your information to Portuguese, you're or your website to Portuguese, you're reaching already about 250 million more people just by translating to Portuguese. Just for a, you know, I don't know how much, you know, whatever, whatever it costs, you know, to translate your website, it's not really expensive. And, um, and then, you know, let's say you translate to Chinese. Well, you're reaching 1.4 billion people. <laughs> that's more than four times the size of the United States. That's, that's a, that's a crazy amount. Uh, if you translate to Hindi, I mean, there's a lot of languages in India. There's Hindi, Marathi, Telugu, Marathi, uh, you know, Kerala, uh, the, the languages of Kerala, there's, you know, Tamil, uh, the languages of Tamil, all these different languages. Um, but you can translate to all of them. Uh, Hindi is the main language, but I mean, w- once you get into places like India, that's when it does start to get a little bit complicated because you have to, you know, look at, you know, the languages in, in the, the, Beng- uh, the Bangladeshi languages and, and all these different areas. So, yeah, it's really important to work with someone who knows what they're doing but um but it's you know it, it's it, it's possible to do it on your own but yeah i mean the, the the potential you have is amazing so i would say definitely i mean i would say just it, localizing stuff should be one of the first things you do i mean if you're if you're starting a project if you're in the united states and you want you're going to definitely want to translate any, everything to spanish if you're in the united states and you you're um you know, you call a lot of places. They always tell you to press one or two for Spanish. So uh, it's already, everyone knows how important it is. And you just can't ignore it. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to stop. You, you, you know, it's just extremely important. If you, I mean, if you look at the largest companies and just go on any of their websites, go on YouTube's website, scroll to the bottom, you're going to see a drop down menu that allows you to change it to any language. Go to Facebook, you're going to see a menu that allows you to change it to any language. So they know the importance and look how big those companies are. So, you know, if you want to be like Google, you want to be like Facebook, you know, think, think local, think globally. I mean, these are, this is how they think, you know, it's just not, it's not about just, I mean, if you want to stay small, if you, if you, if you're happy, you know, just, you know, where you're at, then, you know, that's, that's fine. But if you want to grow localization is where you need to go. And it's not about just translating. It's about transcreation. It's about international marketing. It's about cultural understanding. It's about, you know, other things like registering your business in another country. If you're, if you're registered in the United States and you want to register in Chile, there's, you have to speak to a local lawyer. You have to uh, speak to the local government. You have to get registered as a business in Chile, you know? So all these things are extremely important. And in this day and age of globalization, being able to communicate with everybody successfully is, is a huge part of business. 
day translations, professional translation services that take your business global and connect you to the world. This has been The Daycast with Sean Hopwood. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. And thank you for your time. And thanks for, to everyone for listening to me. Our program was produced today by Maria Lorenzo. Our website, daytranslations.com forward slash daycasts, where you can listen to an archive of our Daycast podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, and Anchor.fm. Daycast is made possible by the folks at Day Translations and Day Interpreting, professional language solutions for you. Thanks a lot. See you guys next week.